and welcome to Queer as Folktales by Stories of Scotland. This project is funded through the Second Life Grant Scheme, celebrating the Edwin Morgan centenary. This is supported by Creative Scotland, the Saltire Society and the Edwin Morgan Trust. Hello to listeners new, old and ancient. I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. Welcome. This is the final episode of a three-part mini-series, so if you haven't listened to episodes one and two in that order, then you'd be best to go back now and listen to them. Otherwise, this episode will make about as much sense as turnip wine, which is truly dreadful. We made this as a cheeky wee basement play for LGBT History Month in 2020, where it sold out. <clears throat> but that was mostly because we gave away the tickets for free. <laughs> and what a wonderful basement play it was! We are ecstatic to be sharing it with so many listeners from all around the world. We've had an amazing response to the first two episodes and had such kind messages from folks across the globe. So thank you all so much for listening. Please continue sending us messages, leaving reviews and sharing this tale far and wide. Our first episode started on Scapa Beach in Orkney. Our young fisher Mary met the mysterious Selkie Sinead and fell in almost love. Unfortunately though, our Selkie Sinead can't return Mary's almost love until she is reunited with her missing sealskin. So, Besmitten Mary set out on a quest to retrieve the stolen Selkie skin. In the second episode, Mary got sucked into a ceilidh under a fairy broch in Caithness. Eventually, she got a tip-off that the missing sealskin was stolen by a Kelpie, an ancient shape-shifting water spirit who lives on the Ness Islands. Kelpies are completely fluid, taking the shape of human or horse or sometimes just the water itself. In mythology, they are often deadly creatures to encounter, dragging innocent folks into the deep, dark waters, drowning them and eating their flesh. And on that cheery note, let's join Mary on the banks of the River Ness, where she's searching for the Kelpie who has stolen her almost beloved's sealskin. Enjoy. there was one thing that Mary had learned so far, it's that hunting for mythology is a frustrating pastime. The lore she had encountered on her journey depended on a thousand tiny coincidences all aligning at just the right moment. A walk on the beach at exactly the precise time to save a washed up selkie, or a spit of turnip wine at twilight beside an enchanted broch which just so happens to house a turnip wine loving fairy. And now Mary and Alan, her cute yet cowardly terrier, found themselves wandering around Ness Islands in the dawn light, looking for signs of a magical water horse. The Ness Islands are an oasis of peace in the city of Inverness. They are fragments of land with a wide range of trees and wildlife, each connected to the next by a dainty footbridge across the braiding river Ness. Unfortunately, though, the closest thing that Mary could find as a portal to the supernatural realm was a miniature railway in a children's park. After investigating a variety of strangely shaped mushrooms, 
She once again found herself exasperated and exhausted from hunting for creatures who logically shouldn't exist. As Mary was crouched down, reading between the lines of the stones in a very small and clearly unofficial pet cemetery, she felt a curious shape in her back pocket. As she straightened up, she investigated the gift that she was given for solving the riddle in the fairy Cayley. Instinctively, she understood it to be a key. It was a small metal object decorated with a strange animal head, although she couldn't tell what animal, as the shape was so stylized. It could be a fox head, or a dolphin head, or anything in between, land or sea. With great relief, she realized that it must be a magical talisman, perhaps to help her find the Kelpie of the River Ness. Rather self-consciously, Mary began rubbing it on things and inserting it into vaguely lock-shaped holes and cracks. Perhaps they would open the portal to the Kelpie's world. The grooved bark of a huge cedar tree, the grave of a long-lost pet. Alas, none of these revealed the dwelling place of the evil Kelpie. She tried the key on a love lock left on one of the dainty bridges. It read, Kellyanne Hearts Darren, 2K7. And lo and behold, it slipped off. But, once again, no magical Kelpie appeared. She hastily relocked it, hoping she hadn't just caused a messy divorce. As it clicked shut, a strike of inspiration hit her. The Kelpie is an animal of the water, and so it would make sense for the key to open a door underwater. She squatted down on a couple of spots by the river Ness and tried to turn the key into the gravel under a flowing current and even between the eddies. But again, she had no luck. Alan, however, was having a ball, for he had befriended a rather pampered-looking Dalmatian. Mary looked up to see the owner and hastily removed her hand from the river. Amongst the small talk that is customary when your dogs are merrily gallivanting, she said, Oh, this is uh, a bit embarrassing, but uh, you don't happen to know if there's a Kelpie living around here, do you? It's um, for a friend. Oh, aye, the Dalmatian walker responded with a bit of a shady look. I've just passed them, up at the Curly Corkscrew bench, at the top of the last island. You can't miss them. They're in one of those swishy tracksuit things. Oh, thanks, Mary said. She was a bit taken aback by the common knowledge of the Kelpies in Inverness. She slipped the useless fairy key into her pocket, hoping the stranger hadn't clocked her trying to open a gravestone. Ach, it's nae bother. You know, the council can't get rid of them. Those Kelpies are a protected species. The Dalmatian walker sighed and went on their way. Mary called Alan, and together they crossed an old bridge and took a right at a fork in the path. She scanned the surrounding woodlands for any hint of a thieving mythological beast in a tracksuit. She was looking so hard, in fact, that she drew the attention of a jogger, who stopped and peered into the woods too. What are you looking for in there, eh? Fairies? They asked from behind Mary's shoulder. Not fairies, no. I'm, uh, I'm looking for a kelpie, Mary replied as she turned to the source of the voice and had to look down to find it. Next to her stood a small runner in a brightly coloured tracksuit, 
one of those modern takes on an old 80s classic. The colours matched too well for it to be an original. The runner had a long, dark ponytail, and the sides of their head were buzzed short. I prefer the term waterhorse myself, they said, continuing to peer through the trees. But there better no be one in there. This is my patch. I've done everything that's been asked of me. They have no right to my waters. Panic shot through Mary. This was the Kelpie. She was standing right next to the dreaded beast who had stolen Selkish and Aid's skin. She leapt backwards and stumbled off the path into the trees. Here, careful there, eh? Don't want to be spraining an ankle on a day like this. The Kelpie leaped out to grab Mary, but again Mary yelped and stumbled further back. Stay away from me, you evil beast! She shouted as she grasped a tree for protection. Oh, come on now. That's a bit of a tired stereotype there, eh? I'm just trying to help you out. The Kelpie stepped back from her, looking dejected. Their tracksuit was a wee bit worn. Their trainers were falling apart, and they had a thick chain around their neck. With a deep scowl on their face, they retreated into the early morning mist. But wait, when did it get so misty? And where is the Kelpie gone? Just what evil does this monster possess in its colourful baggy trousers? Alan was as confused as Mary, although once again he was in his element, hiding behind her as she hid behind the tree, both peering into the mist, straining to see a flash of the bright tracksuit. Alan's ears pricked up as a low, gurgling noise rumbled behind them which quickly evolved into a loud slopping and splashing. Mary whipped round to see the Kelpie emerging from the river in its horse form, only it didn't stop emerging. In seconds, the Kelpie was towering over them. Strong hooves reared from the surface, powered by a pillar of water that flowed effortlessly from where their hind legs should have been. Who sent you here with those foul words in your mouth? The Kelpie roared from above as water sprayed Alan and Mary thoroughly. The freezing waves shocked our young fisher into action. The fairies did. On springtide, you stole a selkie's skin on Scapa Beach, and I've come to take it back. You may be the Loch Laird, but that won't stop me doing whatever it takes to get my selkie's skin, she shouted back, emboldened driven by the fire of injustice inside her. And what she said must have worked, for the tower of water came crashing down, sending a wave through the woods and over the walkway, readying herself for a fight. Mary was taken aback when from the watery wave came... (coughs) hysterical laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Me! The Loch Laird! Oh, that's a good one. You can. I've been called a lot of things in my time. But the Lochlairds, oh, oh, that's new. <laughs> the spray cleared, the mist all but dissipated, and in the woods before Mary stood a Shetland pony shuddering with laughter. The stocky beast looked about as threatening as, well, a Shetland pony. Its chestnut mane was unkempt and knotted, tangled into the mane, and in fact the cause of the knots was a rusting iron bridle. 
Wait, if you're not the Loch Laird, then... Again, at the mention of the Loch Laird, the Shetland Pony Kelpie started to crack up. <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it. This is too much. I'm no Loch Laird. I'm only a wee water spirit. My name's Sowens. I just cut about this river and these wee islands, minding my own business most of the time. I mean, aye. I've been known to have sticky hooves on occasion, but the Loch Laird, he'll take whatever he can, whenever he can, and you won't want to be telling him no. Mary stepped out from behind her protective tree and approached the Shetland pony. So wait, you do know the Loch Laird though? She asked. Aye, we're no best pals. In fact, we're nae pals at all. You see all this free-flowing water braiding its way towards the Murray Firth? This is the Loch Laird's. All the fresh water up here is under his control, although he's never around to appreciate it. I am what you would call a tenant of this water, and he is my laird. Well, then why did you take my selkie's skin? Mary asked. Look... Between you, me, and that Doug Walker, if I don't do what he says, then that's it. Next thing I ken, there's another water spirit flowing between my islands, and I've got no place to cut about and harangue locals. And aye, alright, he did send me up to retrieve a selkie's skin, but it's a no use to me. I'm more fluid than not. What do I want with a selkie's skin? Well... What use would the Loch Laird have with it? And if you're more water than not, then how on earth can the Loch Laird control you and make you steal things from hundreds of miles away? Mary retorted, feeling both relieved that she didn't have to fight this Kelpie and horribly intimidated by the prospect of an even greater foe in the Loch Laird. Oh, you are behind on the mythological times, aren't you? See this here bridle? The pony shook their knotted mane and revealed as much of the rusting metal equipment as they could. This is what keeps me here. The iron binds me to the laird of the loch. We used to all be family, the loch laird and the kelpies. We protected each other. We pestered humans together. We haunted all the waters just the same. And I, the laird was always in charge, but we trusted him to do right by us. We even fought battles together, side by side, back in the ancient times, that is. <sighs> As time went on, the Loch Laird got larger than everyone else, and he also got a sense of greatness that came with it. And one day, he decided he could get mere for us if he kept us all in cursed iron bridles. I know I wear it well, but this thing, it hurts. Iron binds all creatures for the mythological realm. Plus... It means there's a wee bit I can't reach when I'm itchy. And to be honest, I can't even remember the moment I realised he'd turned against us, betrayed us. The Loch Laird just decided to put a name on the rivers and the lochs. But it was all his name, his property. And then he tricked us into wearing iron to tether our powers. You see, Kelpies, when we're free, can move through water like a spirit flies through the air. We a weightless delight. The pure essence of our living is in the water. But as soon as the Loch Laird made deeds and titles for our rivers and cast these iron bridles over us, we 
We could no longer swim like we used to. We're no real water spirits anymore. We just cut about our wee patch and do the Loch Laird's bidding. I don't really remember what it feels like to be a real Kelpie when I'm bridled. I'm just a wee pony that can paddle. Realising that the Shetland pony wasn't a threat at all, Mary felt a pang of empathy for them. This is a story I've heard before. But don't you see that you taking the Selkie's skin is just like the Lochlayer taking your waters from you. Your spirit and being are unfairly ripped apart. The Lochlayer is bringing down all kinds of torment on the myths of... But as Mary started to get passionate about both the Kelpie's predicament and her own, the Kelpie raised a hoof and flowed back into their track-suited form. Here, your issues know with me, alright? And my issue is my own to deal with. But I see your point, and I'm sorry that I took your Selkie's skin. I can't get it back for you, but I do ken where you can find the Loch Laird. First though, let's go get a sausage roll. I am starving. And so, over a sausage roll and coffee, in the shadow of Inverness Castle, the Kelpie told Mary all about the Loch Laird, how he had enforced deeds on their ancient rivers and lochs, and used iron to manipulate the myths, and the horrible things he did to the myths who dared to fight back. And vitally, the Kelpie mapped out to Mary where she could find the Laird of the Loch. This was punctuated with a myriad of other hot topics including the state of the Highland housing market, job opportunities for young folks, and the latest hit basement play in Inverness. And as much as Mary enjoyed it, she was too close to her goal to wait much longer, and so bid farewell to her Kelpie friend. Here, wait, the Loch Laird is a master at no being seen. It's kind of its whole thing, a bit 1800s if you ask me. But we Kelpies have our own ways of finding him, it's a perk of our tenancies. Take one of my horseshoes and have a swatch through it when you need. And may the currents forever flow in your favour. Mary parked at Doors Beach on the shores of Loch Ness. It felt inevitable that her journey would culminate here, with the monster of all monsters, the legend of all legends. Alan was furiously excited to be back at the beach. Together they approached the edge of the water. The light peat-stained tide was speckled with water weeds. A full can of beer was bobbing on the waves. She tried fishing it out without getting her shoes wet, but... Her socks were inevitably soaked. She got the can, though. Yes, take that loch, Laird. Yes, can you keep your loch clean, can you? <clears throat> Mary refocused on her mission and the sweeping loch in front of her. She remembered when she came here as a child and strained so hard at the loch for so long in search of the mythical monster that she had a headache for two days afterwards. But this time, she was ready. She took the Kelpie's horseshoe from her jacket pocket, held it lucky side up, and looked through the centre of it, the magnificent Loch Ness in her sights. The waters were still, with a quietly lapping peaceful tide. But within a heartbeat, Mary could see a disruption in the wave pattern out to her left. 
she swiveled and focused on it properly. And with a... The head of a large beast broke through the surface. Astounded, Mary moved the horseshoe from side to side in front of her. Without it, the monster was utterly invisible. Mary was glad that Alan was far too short to see through it, else he would be an even more terrified terrier. The Loch Ness monster was the size of a castle, craggy and ancient, dark water streaming down its thick grey scales. Despite its size, the monster moved surprisingly fast, swimming swiftly like a predator hunting prey, its ravenous eyes pierced the serenity of the landscape. Mary couldn't imagine any fish being big enough to feed this beast. Suddenly, the monster disappeared below the surface before violently appearing once more, prey in its jaws, torn from the waters and consumed in a splash. Mary desperately hoped it was a large fish, but she couldn't help think that it had distinctly looked like a mermaid. Unsure how to get the attention of the enormous monster, or even if she wanted to, she awkwardly waved around a bit, jumping around on the pebbled beach with no luck. And so she steeled herself and yelled, Hello! Hello! Nessie! Laird of the Loch! Her calls rang out between the mountains and across the water. ancient monster stopped and turned its giant head towards the shore, revealing a look of fury on its dreadful face. It reminded her of the dragons from her children's book and the giant toad from her grandparents' garden. It swam slowly towards her, weighing her up. She was quickly outweighed. As the beast approached, Mary could make out huge scars covering its flesh from old battles or maybe speedboats. Alan instinctively adopted his usual stance and cowered behind Mary, though she was sure he couldn't see the monster that now loomed over them. Mary could hear the monster's breathing. The low rumbling reminded her of a fast approaching storm and a pang of homesickness rang through her body. You have no right to be using enchanted iron to cast your eyes upon my loch, mortal. <laughs> the monster growled. You will regret summoning me. <laughs> Mary could see the rage searing through on the marine beast's face. The young fisher felt her bravery dissipate. I I'm sorry. Mary felt herself shaking in terror, but she had to ask. Please, you sent one of your kelpies to steal something very precious from a friend of mine. A selkie skin, taken on the spring tide many moons ago from Scapa Beach. I promised Sinead I would retrieve her selkie seal skin. 
the monster snarled or possibly gargled. The sealskin from the princess of the Selkis. Without it, the seas have no rightful heir, and in time, which I have plenty of, their waters will become my domain. My new sealskin will bring me a power so great I will shatter all legends. You are insignificant. A soft bag of land flesh. I am already tired of you. Mary stood trembling. The shock of this news crashed over her. Why had Sinead never mentioned she was Princess of the Selkies, the heir to their throne? Looking the Loch Ness monster in its stone-cold eyes, Mary was overwhelmed by how powerless she was. Her heart was thumping in her chest. She searched for the words to convince this beast to return what it had stolen. But there were none. She thought of all Billy's stories that ended with the death of a hero too foolish to know that some monsters were too big to overcome. She stood on the shore of Loch Ness with no sword or harpoon, not even a fish hook, just a small, scared terrier as her army. And Mary realised that though her almost love was strong enough to get her down the A9, it wasn't sharp enough to bring down the enormous mythological beast in front of her. The rivers and lochs are already mine, and with the skin of the air to the seas... Those waters shall soon be my dominion as well. The creatures of the oceans will submit to me, just as the Kelpies do now, snarled the monster. Please, you don't understand. I made a promise. I said I would bring the sealskin back, the Selkie you stole it from. She's not complete without it. She's only a half-being. She needs the skin to be whole. You're destroying her, Mary protested. What do I care for her? I care only for the power her seal skin holds and the riches that power brings. I am powerful and power feeds on power. I have the riches of the lochs and I have the riches of the seas. And your Selkie will submit to me because I am the lead and this is my kingdom. The monster roared at Mary, (laughs) its sharp teeth splintering from its arrogant lips. The more it reared out the water, the more Mary felt her cause was completely lost. She stepped back slowly, putting distance between herself and the creature. Please... I'll do anything to get the Selkie's skin back, Mary begged while retreating further. The monster looked at Mary with contempt and in an arching swoop slammed itself down into the depths of the loch. A huge wave rose up and charged towards Mary and Alan. Mary scooped Alan up just as it crashed over them. The monster's head speared through the water, bearing towards them, 
its teeth just grazing the edge of our young fisher's jacket. <sighs> Splashing backwards out of the water, she dashed back, away from the loch and towards her car. As she retreated, she passed a man stepping out of his caravan, intrigued by the sudden wave. She tore her car door open and slammed it behind her. In fear and shame and a puddle on the seat, she burst into tears. Never did she imagine this is where her quest would end, soaking wet by Loch Ness with no sealskin. The full revelation weighed on her. Why hadn't Sinead told her she was a princess? How could she tell Sinead that her sealskin was lost for good? Despite all the help she had received from fairies and kelpies, she still couldn't retrieve the sealskin. In her despair, she understood that the sealskin was about much more than her almost love. What do I do now, Alan? Mary whispered to the sodden terrier. I think we need to go home. And so our young fisher, Mary, began her journey back north. She stopped off at the islands to thank the Kelpie and give them back their sightseeing shoe. Selwyn's, the Kelpie, was in the same place and had been joined by a few pals, also all in dodgy tracksuits and sharing a six-pack of iron brew. She noticed that Selwyn's had managed to lose a trainer and now only had one mucky one left. You are right there? Get any seal skins, eh? The Kelpie optimistically welcomed Mary. Oh, don't even start, Mary sighed. It was humiliating. The Loch Laird told me that he will have power over the lochs and the seas, and that I'm just a pathetic human with no hope. And it's true. I'm empty-handed, and I smell like the bottom of a bad loch. Oh, nay, you didn't smell that bad. Just a wee bit, Petey, like a fine whiskey. The Kelpie flowed into pony form and muzzled up to Mary. Why no just get your selkie a nice wee knitted jumper from doing the tune? She'll forget her sealskin in no time, <laughs> the Kelpie suggested, with the air of a laugh at a funeral. Ah, oh, thanks, but I don't think that's what she wants. Although, I'm not really sure I know her at all, Mary sulked. Anyway... I just came to give you back your horseshoe. Mary handed back the enchanted horseshoe, but as she moved in, she got a closer glimpse of the bridle that the Kelpie was bound by. Under the rust lay ancient patterns. Ancient patterns that bore a striking resemblance to the key that the fairy had slipped her. With great excitement, she ripped this key from her pocket and lunged at the pony, yelling incoherently about freedom. Terrified, they collapsed into a puddle and Mary stumbled right through the spot where they had been standing. As she whipped around, the Kelpie flowed into its track-suited form, this time with both trainers on. And Mary, having gathered herself, said, The necklace you have on, the cursed one, your bridle, I have the key. And this time she showed the key clearly and handed it to the Kelpie. They took it in astonishment and for once were speechless. They slipped the ancient key into the rusted padlock 
and it opened. The bridle fell with a heavy clank to the earth, and the Kelpie immediately began to dance a highland fling with Mary. Oh, what? You can't just escape like that, Sowens, one of the alarmed pals said. Aye, we can. Look at me. I choose freedom. <laughs> the Kelpie was glowing with energy in their newfound liberation. And with this joyful energy, the Kelpie danced around using the key on each of their friends. One by one, the bridles and iron fell to the wayside, the curse being cast off them with thuds and clanks. By the time Sowens had freed all of their pals, one of them had already slipped into the water, away to fetch their family. Mary's heart warmed as she watched the Kelpies free their kin, a tiny Shetland pony foal having its dainty little cursed bridle removed from its neck, a huge Clydesdale released from the burden of its steel. As the Kelpies unlocked each other, more and more arrived. The rumour of freedom swelled through their ranks at an incredible pace. The Kelpies gathered on the islands, celebrating their freedom, and Mary realised that the fairies must have known what the key would be used for. They must have understood that the tide of power was turning in the highlands, and seeing the joy on the Kelpies' faces, she hoped to herself that if nothing else, the fae folk just wanted more mythological creatures to be dancing. Mary kept thinking that she ought to return north, get the last fairy home, but something kept her with the Kelpies. What had once been a few Kelpies sharing a six-pack of Iron Brew had turned into hundreds. By the time the crowds of dancing Kelpies were overflowing the islands and the water surrounding them, Sowens used their old water tower trick and powered up above them all. (laughs) We have been forgotten by the obscurity in which has shrouded our name. No! In the deepest loch of Britain lies our enemy. He is a pillager of our realm. He has exhausted the loch by indiscriminate plunder, and now he ransacks the seas. For this robbery and butchery, he gives himself the false name he laird. The Loch Ness monster has created a desolation amongst our mythology and calls it a tourist attraction. Rise up, my fellow Kelpies and reclaim our lochs and rivers. Reclaim our titles and deeds. We shall never be bridled again. The myths are mightier than the laird. Choose affordable lochs and enchanted wraiths. Choose a mermaid's shell and a dolphin's noise. (coughs) Choose good health. Choose low cholesterol. Choose to fight to your freedom. Mary watched on in awe as the Kelpies changed from joy in their new freedom to the stoic realisation that their liberation, their rights, were something that they would need to fight to keep. And she also saw that perhaps she wasn't the hero of this story, but just a side character to a tracksuit-wearing Kelpie who was now a leader of an army of Kelpies. Essentially, Mary was just a glorified postie, but the Kelpies... They were an uprising. An army ready to free all of their Kelpie kin from the curse of an exploitative loch laird. To take the lochs and waters that were rightfully theirs back from the Loch Ness monster. Sowens lowered down in front of Mary and told her to hop on for a ride. Mary awkwardly climbed upon the small pony and in doing so, 
became a part of the Kelpie army. Alan too joined the Kelpie rebellion as a chunky Highland pony picked him up and placed him on their back. The journey to Loch Ness was adrenaline fueled. The Kelpies charged upriver at a phenomenally fast rate against the flow of the current. As they approached the loch, the Laird was already waiting for them. The second she saw the monster again, Mary was uncertain of their chances of victory. The Laird of the loch was spine-chillingly gigantic and nightmarish. The Kelpies were picking a fight with a powerful bully much bigger than themselves. But they did not slow and soon surrounded the Laird of the Loch, who looked down on the army in disdain. Laird of the Loch, we are the free Kelpies, and we claim our rightful titles and deeds that you took for us, Selwyn's demanded. I could defeat a thousand of your armies, you fool. It would be wiser of you to return to your iron bridles and serve me in my kingdom, the monster bellowed. Unexpectedly, this didn't trigger a battle cry or a charge. Instead, an old rugged Kelpie took out a fiddle and the Kelpies began to dance. In unison, they danced through the water, circling the monster. The reel was gentle and twirling and it was as if the water danced with them. It was filled with heart and soul and magic. The ancient beast tried snapping at them viciously, but the Kelpies always managed to sidestep and streamline its razor-sharp teeth. Their dance was delicate but powerful, and somehow it told the story of the traditions of the Kelpies. The whole loch began to move, all the water dancing with them, bubbling and churning under the hooves of the many Kelpies. Strange creatures started appearing to join the Kelpies in their dances. Mermaids and sprites, ghosts, banshees, water wraiths and shapeshifters. The monster's angry, seemingly random snapping suddenly made contact with the chunky Highland pony who was carrying Alan. The monster seized up the Kelpie and Alan with it. Mary's world stood still, seeing Alan in mortal danger. Not Alan! Not Alan! She couldn't live with herself if something happened to Alan. The monster tilted its great head back, getting ready to swallow the Highland Kelpie and the terrified terrier in one. No, not Alan, Jenny. That's not how the story goes. Anyone but Alan. In panic, Alan dropped his treasured bone that he had been savouring since his return from the realm of the fairies. It tumbled as it fell and disappeared down the gullet of the beast. After a moment of silent dread, <coughs> the monster began to cough. The bone had become lodged in its throat. Yes, Alan! In a gargling cough, the monster spit out Alan and his brave Highland steed and they were caught by their Kelpie companions below. All the while, the Kelpie dance continued unbroken. The churning dance summoned the prehistoric power of the water, and the Loch Ness monster began shrinking, as though it were being drained. He went from the size of a castle, to the size of a Glasgow tenement, to the size of a house, to the size of a tractor. 
and smaller still. The water mists continued their dance until the ancient monster was shrunk down to the size of Alan, and then smaller still. When the beast was just a few inches tall, it panicked and dove under the surface, fleeing from the Kelpie Rebellion. Mary thought she saw the now tiny monster get caught in the currents of the River Ness and wondered if he would end up in the North Sea. Young foals, dive to the depths and find our deeds, Sowens cried out, and with that, their battle was won. Back at Ness Island, Sowen gave Mary a hoofy hug. Here, thank you, eh? We never dreamed we would reclaim your lochs. We just needed an opportunity. These aren't just our legal rights back to our waters, but our own place in the world. Somewhere to belong. You've given us the chance to choose your future. The stocky Kelpie embraced Mary again. <coughs> Aunt... One of the foals found something that belongs to you. Selwyn's handed Mary the silky skin. It glistened a beautiful silver shimmer. Mary had never seen anything so beautiful and could feel the power of the ocean within it as she took it from Selwyn's. Embarrassed that she had nothing to give the Kelpie in return, Mary quickly remembered the can of beer she had fished out of the loch and presented it to her new friend. It didn't feel like a regal enough gift for this hero, but Sowens was thrilled. And so, this time for sure, Mary set back on her journey to Orkney. She drove up the A9 and stopped at Bruin Broch to stretch her legs and do a little bit of litter picking before getting the ferry home. On the journey back across the Firth, she looked out to the ocean and she thought only of the future. Finally, the ferry docked and she was home. Mary was a bundle of nerves as she disembarked the old ferry. She could see Sinead waiting for her, waving from the dock. It has been so long since you left. I thought something terrible had happened to you. (laughs) Mary was taken aback by Sinead's carefree tone. It was as though the Selkie didn't understand the mortal peril that Mary had been through. She had so many questions for Sinead. Hang on a minute, wait. Why were you so scared, hmm? It's not like I was trapped in an eternal ball with the fairies or had to battle the biggest and most legendary monster in the whole world or anything, all to return the sealskin of the Princess of the Selkies. You didn't mention that, did you? Princess Selkie Sinead. Sinead was clearly a wee bit shocked by this response. Yes, I'm so sorry about that. I thought if I told you the truth about who I am... You might not almost love me. My skin was my whole essence. Everything wild in my nature. 
But then, when you left, I realized I didn't need my skin. I needed you. Because you are my heart. Arf! Mary was in turmoil. Oh, you're so lovely, Sinead. And I wished I believed you. But there's just this doubt in my gut. I know how these fairy tales end. If I give you your sealskin back, then you'll leave me and return to the sea. Sinead lit up. <gasps> so you got my skin back? My beautiful sealskin. I've missed it so much. All that luxurious blubber keeping me afloat in the sea. So warm. Mary hesitated. If I give this to you, then you'll leave me for the sea. But if I keep it, then you'll have to stay with me. But love doesn't keep us in iron bridles. Love doesn't keep our deeds locked away from us. Love falls where it falls. And if it has only fallen for one mediocre podcasting quest into the Highlands and Islands mythology then I can do nothing but let my heart break and let this story too slip into legend. With this, Mary resigned herself to having her almost love almost certainly lost and she gave Selkie Sinead her sealskin back. The Selkie turned away from her, cradling the skin in her hands. Selkie. I love being a seal. My life is about swimming between shoals of a hundred thousand silver sparkling mackerel, listening to the songs of the grandest whales, dancing in the mermaid castles beneath the waves. I've seen a hundred different worlds that I've loved in the ocean. But the world I have loved the most is the one here, with you. I might be a princess, but I am also a very successful small business owner now, since my Etsy shell jewellery business has taken off. Plus, it's definitely the right time for the Selkies to become a republic and develop a democratic government. My sealskin is all of my magic. You would not take it, but I will give it to you because you are my magic in this world. I love you, Mari. Arf! 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 And so our young fisher and our selkie princess embraced and sealed their love with a kiss. A really long, sloppy kiss. So long and so sloppy that in fact the ferry had time to completely disembark and re-embark and set sail. And as it sailed back towards the mainland, dolphins rose from the water, a whale breached and Alan himself actually went for a nap. The sun set behind them, the seagulls cawed and Mary and Selkie Sinead 
were in love. It was lovely. And so our almost love turned out to be real love. And that night, the family gathered to celebrate Mary's adventure over broth. Mary gave old Billy the Fisher and his three cats the package from Douglas of Longlegs. As he opened it, his old face flashed with a youthful joy. From the paper, he pulled a brand new woolen cap. He removed his old holy head warmer and placed the new one on. It was exactly the same, but with fewer holes. He looked out the kitchen window, past the harbour, and out over the waves of Scapa Flow. Deep under the waves of Scapa Flow, a curious octopus explored an old crab creel, hoping to find dinner. Instead, it discovered a rather grumpy miniature monster, yelling and shouting about how he was the laird of this creel. And that was Quaver's Folktales. Thank you so, so much for listening. Me and Jenny wrote this out of our love of traditional folklore and our pride to be part of the LGBTQ community in the Highlands. It's been so much fun to write this and we wouldn't have been able to do it without the support that we received from the Second Life Grant Scheme, which celebrates the Edwin Morgan centenary. This in itself is supported by Creative Scotland, the Saltire Society and the Edwin Morgan Trust. A massive thank you to our patrons. We are so grateful that you help us make things that make us so happy and hopefully bring a tiny bit of joy to the world. If you enjoyed this journey and you think you would know someone else who would enjoy it, then please share us. Writing Quaver's Folktales has been a tremendously fun adventure quest for us. And I'm, I'm just really honoured that so many people have downloaded this podcast and decided to come on that strange adventure quest with us. Thank you so, so much. It's been a truly wonderful journey. Thank you all so much. Slangeva. Slangeva. And may the currents forever flow in your favour. <laughs>